and I'm going to be doing my review of the 2023 ARP Synod. I'll say that again. I'm going to be doing my uh, review of the 2023 ARP Synod. Welcome everybody who is going to be watching. Uh, I'll also be posting this to Sermon Audio, so if you miss part of it um, or you can't uh, finish it, um, you can catch it there on our Sermon Audio page, which is uh, Providence ARP. Uh, this will not be an exhaustive review of all of the actions of the ARP Synod. There's, there, there were many, and uh, a lot of them I don't think would interest uh, most of the members of the general public, or even members of uh, the ARP for that matter, um, by uh, looking at the uh, responses from many of the delegates to the Assembly. There were some parts that didn't seem to interest them very much either. So I'm just going to hit on some of the, uh, the main ones and the things that uh, uh, interest people. Uh, generally, uh, or interest me, uh, and seem to have interested other uh, people. Uh, there were a couple of, I'm going to start out by saying that, um, well, just giving, uh, before I, I, I say anything else, I, I do want to give a, a, a general sense. Uh, I, am, um, I am still happy to be a member of the ARP. Uh, I love my brothers there. It's an entirely different spirit from the, uh, the PCA. This is not to say that this is an infallible organization. It is not. Uh, it is still the church militant, not yet the church triumphant. Uh, the only sinless church that uh, we will ever have will be the one that we are part of in glory. And the ARP is not yet in glory. So uh, we continue on and we make mistakes, uh, but that's the way of it. But there are many things about the ARP that I sincerely appreciate over the PCA. One, there are no uh, large political action committees. You don't have a national partnership. You don't have a GRN. You don't have obvious um, division uh, between left and right. Uh, there's more of a continuum. Also, generally speaking, after uh, an argument or debate has happened within the ARP, the, uh, the men don't come away uh, detesting and despising one another. Uh, um, and uh, there's no political maneuvering, um, not, nothing like that. It's, it's more the, the delegation of amateurs rather than any sort of political uh, assembly. And also, you, uh, you don't tend to see that there's an agenda that's being worked on. Uh, for instance, there is, unlike in the PCA, there's no agenda to bring in uh, homosexual pastors, side B, gay, celibate. Uh, pastors and so on, men uh, working to uh, clear the road for that and, and so on. Um, and there is a small c conservatism that prevails throughout. It's kind of that, you know, we've never done it this way before. Uh, this is good in one sense in that it means that no big changes happen all of a sudden, but it's also, it can be a problem when reform needs to happen and uh, they only remember doing it one way. Uh, that came up when it, um, uh, in regards to the deaconess issue, because you're going to remember that uh, the um, ARP has had deaconesses since 1971, so uh, for longer than many of the delegates have been alive. Uh, so it would be a very big change to many of those um, congregations that have women deaconesses. Uh, that was obviously something that came up. All right. Um, I do want to address really quickly two judicial cases uh, that came up uh, just to get them out of the way. One was the Chuck Wilson case. Uh, Chuck Wilson is well known in the ARP. Um, he has a cane and an eye patch and, uh, and always stands up and makes curmudgeonly um, uh, comments. Uh, during uh, the assemblies. Uh, usually the ARP is doomed uh, comments and um, 
it, the fact that he wasn't at the ARP Synod this year, actually, a lot of men commented made, made it go much faster because there wasn't, you know, the, the constant uh, historical um, uh, commentary and uh, and basically grievances uh, being made. Um, the I, I don't want to get into the details of the uh, Chuck Wilson case, but uh, they are... Uh, they are sad. Uh, they deal with, uh, and it's not. It's these are moral issues um, dealing with um, allegations brought by two of his daughters against him. Um, so he uh, has renounced the jurisdiction of the ARP, um, and in doing so, has uh, essentially excommunicated himself uh, from the ARP. Um, obviously, we pray that there will be uh, repentance and reconciliation in that case, but uh, that's. That was that's a big deal because Chuck Wilson has been a major figure within the uh, the ARP. And it's also a big deal whenever a minister is caught in a uh, in a uh, sins of a moral nature and uh, decides to renounce the jurisdiction of his um, his uh, denomination rather than uh, repenting or uh, going through the trial. Um, also, there was an issue with, uh, it's called the Prado case. Uh, it had to do with First Columbia. Um, and it, while the, the Senate didn't de- uh, decided not to take it up, uh, it did expose um, some of the, the bad ways that a large church can deal with, uh, with issues. Uh, First Columbia, in essence, ended up excommunicating a man without trial. Um, saying he was trespassing on the property because uh, they felt that he was stalking one of the female members of the church. Nonetheless, it should have been dealt with um, in a uh, church board manner rather than um, in the way that they dealt with it. That I think everybody uh, sees and it's very clear. So uh, churches are in the way that they go about administering discipline and so on. But uh, so those were two issues that came before the Synod. Uh, The Synod did not take them up, did not resolve them, but uh, rather um, sent them back. Um, uh, In the case of Chuck Wilson, it's kind of over since he has, uh, in essence, left the ARP. The retiring moderator uh, in his theme, his theme was uh, advancing the gospel. And uh, he had um, been challenging us. Uh, we are fulfilling the, the Great Commission to a great extent in other countries, places like Pakistan and Mexico, but are we fulfilling the Great Commission here at home? Are we actively preaching the gospel in our own communities and so on? Uh, let us not, he, he urged us to not waste the time that we have. The outgoing moderator instantly was uh, Bill Mackay at the Canadian Presbytery. Uh, and he said, um, the heart of true biblical worship is faithful, authentic, expository preaching, and he's absolutely right. Um, he said, of course, Satan's goal is to gather God's glory to himself, and he uses noise and other things to distract us from our chief end. Uh, God sends his living word, he said, to counteract that. So uh, he also pointed out that the great uh, aim of our gospel efforts, both at home and overseas, is, of course, to create worshipers. Uh, the new incoming moderator who moderated the assembly was Rob Patrick, uh, and uh, his theme for the year was the priority of worship, private worship, family worship, corporate worship, uh, and how we uh, grow in our grasp, or how we should be growing in our grasp of the priority of worship in all of our life. Uh, our lives should be lives of worship. Um, 
And uh, he pointed out that one of the things that we need to do is to uh, have a better sense of how important the worship of the synod is um, and uh, that we shouldn't uh, treat it as non-important and spend our time talking instead of doing that. So it was a good message, good theme. All right, uh, I want to go through some of the special committee reports. I know the one that everybody wants to hit uh, immediately is um, uh, the... Um, the committee on deaconesses, but we had a we had an interesting committee that was put before us, and I, I'll try to explain why I think it was an important committee, and I was sad that uh, nothing came of it. One of the things that we have seen in Presbyterianism over the years, it was one of the great uh, arguing points uh, in the 19th century, was the issue of committees or boards. Do we have uh, permanent boards with uh, chairman or presidents uh, that are constantly uh, in place, they're, they're, um, a, they're commissioned to uh, handle a certain work. Uh, so, for instance, missions boards were formed uh, with chairmen or presidents, and they, uh, they have employees, and they go about doing that work. Uh, it's not ministers, it's not presbyteries overseeing them. In one sense, the General Synod or General Assembly, depending upon the Presbyterian denomination, oversees them, but they essentially do their own work. And um, they can, I mean, many of our missions organizations were once the boards of actual denominations and they became independent or they were associated in one way or another with, the, uh, uh, with that particular denomination or some particular denomination. And then they, uh, they became independent because in essence they were independent structures. As a Presbyterian, what I wanted to see was um, our boards becoming uh, committees again and uh, presbytery oversight. Um, one of the things that the Special Committee on Restructuring was trying to do was to bring together two of our uh, boards of outreach, which were uh, Outreach North America and World Witness, World Witness being our missions organization and ONA, uh, Outreach North America being our um, our, our homegrown uh, that church, church planting organization within North America. What needed to happen was, uh, for that to do, uh, to happen was for them to both come together and there was talk about um, making not only uh, a unified organization but returning them to um, committee status. I'm on ONA, we had quite a discussion. I was very in favor of uh, making them a committee and removing the, uh, the board status. Uh, unfortunately, that did not happen. The uh, ONA and World Witness were not unified. They remain uh, boards, and the Committee on Restructuring went away without restructuring. I don't think there's going to be any change in that. So I think uh, it would have been a great move back to historic Presbyterianism had we done that, but we didn't. So it is what it is, as they say around here, and we move on. Um, let us see what else. Uh, do I want to mention before I get to 12, which is, um, okay, all right, well, let's, let's go to, um, uh, yeah. let us go to the report of the, uh, on women's deacons, and I want to have this open in front of me before, uh, women deacons, um, before I, I talk about it, um, it is, it was report number 13, uh, the Special Committee on Women Deacons. Now, when um, we originally tasked the committee um, 
with, then this was two years ago, tasked the committee with producing a report on women deacons. Uh, and incidentally, several brothers pointed out women is a noun, therefore it should be female deacons as, uh, as an adjective. Uh, a lot of us would prefer to simply say deaconesses to make it simpler, but uh, we, uh, we were stuck with female deacons or women deacons as the, uh, as the way of referring to them. Uh, when we tasked the committee uh, with this two years ago, what we were hoping for, I think what the majority of the men uh, there were hoping for, and certainly the men who had proposed this, was that we would get a thorough exegetical survey of the evidence in Scripture for women being deacons or against women being deacons. Uh, regardless of where the report fell on that, we were expecting that the work, the primary work, would be done with the Bible and perhaps some supplementary um, information regarding how Presbyterians had dealt with that issue in the past. Um, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, the report that we received was um, not, I think, what anybody really wanted. Uh, and I'm not speaking um, here uh, in, uh, in jest. Um, or I, I don't think I'm speaking in terms of um, a bias that I have. I'm, I'm obviously against women deacons, I'll be absolutely frank in, in saying that. But um, the report that we received back uh, and I, I, you can go to um, Building Old School Churches, which is biblebase.wordpress.com, if you want to read my paper in response to their paper. Uh, the paper we received, although we had, um, and that's the other thing, we don't know who was on the committee. It was an, uh, it was an anonymous report. We only know the name of the, uh, um, uh, the chairman of the committee, Bill Evans, and uh, Mark Ross indicated uh, Mark Ross is uh, a theologian at Erskine. He's also a member of First um, uh, Columbia, one of the largest churches in the ARP, and is a, an advocate for female deacons. Um, he made it very clear uh, that he had been on the committee as well, um, but that they did not want to do the exegetical work. They did not want to open that up. But, you know, if you're not going to do the exegetical work, why did this take two years? I mean, they produced what, in essence, was a two-page paper with, uh, with footnotes. And um, I, I think uh, one pastor could have cranked it out in a week or less, maybe even a day or two. Uh, the only thing that would have been difficult would be um, uh, uh, cobbling together some resources and quotes. Uh, basically, it stated, let's keep the status quo, the status quo. Let's continue on with, uh, with women deacons. Their recommendation was, um, let me read it to you in its full um, recommendations. The committee recommends that the current policy regarding women in the diaconate be reaffirmed and that the memorial from First Presbytery not be adopted. Now, the memorial from First Presbytery was filled with exegetical material that dealt with the Bible. It also had appended to it Bob Kara's uh, excellent paper on uh, why he doesn't believe, Bob Kara is another theologian, he's at uh, RTS, why he doesn't believe that women should be deacons. And um, it, for the paper not to deal with their argument at all, uh, seemed to me to be um, to make the, the, the answer completely inadequate, if not reprehensible. Uh, there should have been a dealing with it. And um, they just asked uh, uh, that we reaffirm the current position and that the special committee on the study of women deacons be dissolved. Also, there was some, uh, there was some arguing there that was in, in the paper that was uh, particularly problematic. The first one was that they quoted 
PCA uh, papers um, that had attempted to uh, create the, uh, the Office of Deaconess in the PCA, in essence losing overtures that were sent up to the PCA. Uh, why would you quote a losing overture to support your, your position? Um, they, they, didn't, uh, they mentioned that there are two other NAPARC churches uh, that have women deacons or allow for women deacons, the ERQ, which is a tiny, tiny um, denomination in Quebec, and uh, the other one was uh, the RPCNA, but they didn't comment that the RPCNA is also struggling with this issue. Their synod is going to be dealing with exactly the issue that we're dealing with, should we have women in the diaconate. They're studying the issue, so this is not very strong support, and the idea of we're going to do it because other churches do it, I mean, that's never been a, uh, a good way of uh, doing your um, uh, doing your theology. Uh, it's been around for so long. 1971 is not so long. I'm older than 1970. I was born in 1969, so I was born when the ARP still had only male deacons. Uh, and the male-only deacon uh, prevailed from their founding in 17, uh, 1782 till 1971. And the change when it came in 1971 was not due to any sort of you know, great theological insight into the Bible or some sort of you know, theological work that had been done on the subject of Phoebe and uh, the women's list and so on, or the widow's list rather, uh, but was rather um, because there was a huge egalitarian push in the early 70s. Nothing good was happening in American Presbyterianism in the early 70s. 1971 uh, and the guys who were there will tell you the, the egalitarians were pushing hard for women deacons and women elders. The women deacons issue was uh, given as a bone, and when they did not pass the women elders, um, in the next year when it inevitably came up, because usually the, uh, the way it works is you do women deacons first, then women, uh, women elders, apparently I was told by one fellow who was there that, that uh, um, the egalitarian women put on sackcloth and ashes and marched around Bon Clark in the conference center. Uh, where the Senate occurs. Um, so this was uh, an issue uh, that was more political social uh, than theological. But the interesting thing is now the arguments are, are often theological in support. Uh, you do legitimately have guys, and I'll admit that, there are guys now who want women deacons because they believe that the Bible has women deacons. They believe that uh, when, uh, when it says Phoebe was a servant of the church, they mean an ordained deacon within the church. Um, the other place where the uh, the paper that was presented to us, I think, was um, not. Oh, you got to be careful how you say this. Um, not accurate in the way that it uh, it portrayed something was in its treatment of um, you know the widow's list from First Timothy five. It made that exactly. It spoke of that as almost exactly the same as women deacons, where I mean, if they had pressed for, they wanted the restruct. They wanted to bring in. Uh, Calvin's view of uh, a widow's list in which women, widows over 60, who were truly widows and who would not uh, become rambunctious, uh, sexually speaking, uh, or become gossips and busybodies, would take care of the needs of uh, the older women in the church. Um, you know, I would have actually been in favor of that. You know, you want to create a widow's list um, um, office? Uh, that's fine, but let's face it, women deacons and, uh, and male deacons within the ARP, the office is exactly the same. It's not the widow's list, and it's certainly not what Calvin was writing about, and I don't think it was what Paul was referring to. So, uh, going back to what actually happened, and I am going to ignore this call for the moment because I'm doing a live stream right now. Um, what happened was... Um, 
Philip Maybury uh, was the first person up to the microphone, and he um, asked that uh, uh, sub amended. We don't do substitute motions in the ARP. He asked that we pass the First Presbyterian Memorial um, as it was. The First Presbyterian uh, Memorial simply asked for um, deaconesses to be um, uh, removed. Okay, so you were deaconess. Uh, now you're not a deaconess. There are no deaconesses, and we no longer have, uh, we no longer ordain and install deaconesses. I felt that that was not going to be a winning position uh, within the ARP, so I suggested doing what the Presbyterian Church in Australia did, which was grandmothering existing deaconesses. I, I did want to also um, uh, express a little. I mean, uh, the women who were ordained, by and large, were not uh, who are ordained now as deaconesses. I mean, none of them were there to vote in 1971. Uh, they've been laboring in that office for some time. There's many uh, churches that actually depend upon deaconesses. Uh, their deacons' boards are there, um, and uh, in some cases, you would absolutely eviscerate the diaconate of that particular. Uh, church. Also, uh, under the form of government, they were all lawfully ordained. So I wanted to do what the uh, missionaries in Africa do when they come with, uh, when they encountered um, uh, polygamy. They, they wouldn't uh, say to, well, initially, actually, the first missionaries uh, had said to the man with multiple wives, pick one wife, divorce all the others. Um, and this meant that a lot of women and their children ended up starving. So after a while, they said, uh, you know, okay, keep the, keep the wives. But do not marry. The, the uh, polygamous marriage is over. We're not doing that within the Christian community. We cannot. So I wanted to grandmother the, uh, uh, the existing deacons and stop ordaining them after 2025. Uh, the problem was uh, I ended up shooting to my feet and making the amendment without having written it down because I did not expect to be making it. Um, I didn't think that Philip would, uh, that somebody from first would simply say, no, we want ours uh, um, immediately. There were a number of other guys I know who were going to put in substitutes, and so I was, I was hoping that uh, one of their substitutes would be there first. <laughs> the problem was my, I ended up wording it on the floor. It was, uh, it was awful, and, uh, you know, there was issues of and or, uh, ordained and uh, or, you know, is it ordained or installed, ordained and installed? I should have just gotten rid of the installed. What I didn't recognize was that um, many, um, because we've never done it, and I think it's a huge mistake, they have rotating uh, membership on their deacon's board. So the question was, if a woman had been installed previously, could she be installed again later on after this uh, came through? And then there was the issue of the RPCNA has deaconesses. If an RPCNA deaconess goes to an ARP church, can she be installed on the diaconate? Uh, since she's already ordained, she doesn't need to be uh, reordained in some churches. Anyway, so um, that my attempt to introduce the grandmothering clause uh, was a failure both in my wording of it and in what eventually happened. Uh, it was not adopted. There was also, I got hit by traffic going in both directions, uh, the men who want deaconesses and who have the rotating um, uh, deaconess boards uh, or have rotating deacon boards with deaconesses, female deacons uh, on those boards, did not want this. And then the guys from first who just want them gone uh, and see it as uh, something that was sin, and we don't we don't grandmother sin. Uh, this is a this is a false office, not not biblical. It needs to go right away. So they were angry with me as well. 
Um, <laughs> one brother stood up and, and made it very clear that uh, any attempt to, uh, to keep those, uh, those women would be sinful, and therefore I had made a sinful amendment or sinful motion. So there you have it. Um, so what happened was, you know, we had arguments on the, it came back down therefore to the original First Presbyterian Memorial. Let's just get rid of our women deacons immediately. And um, you had three groups essentially arguing on the floor, maybe four. Uh, there were the men who um, absolutely want women deacons gone. There were the men who absolutely want to keep women deacons because they believe it's biblical. Both groups there, they believe one group believes it's biblical, one other group believes it's biblical. Then you had the group who are afraid of the consequences of getting rid of female deacons. Now here's the 900-pound gorilla in the room. Our largest church in the ARP is hands down uh, First Presbyterian Columbia. They came in uh, largely to the ARP rather than the PCA because we have women deacons and they have women deacons and they wanted to keep their women deacons. They have a lot of women deacons apparently. They've made it sort of known that if the ARP gets rid of women deacons, they will simply go independent. They'll leave. Um, and uh, if they leave, not only does the largest church in the ARP leave, uh, the largest contributor to a lot of uh, the causes there. I was privy to a conversation between um, uh, a couple of men who were saying, you don't understand, we get rid of uh, women deacons, you can say goodbye to world witness. In other words, uh, the funding uh, that comes from FIRST is so important that it would damage the um, denomination of a bunch of other men. That, and that argument to fear was made again and again. We had men who stood up and, you know, they said, our church has come in from the PCUSA. We studied uh, the other denominations, and the reason why we went into the, uh, the ARP was because you have female deacons. So they were pressing. And, and meanwhile, you know, we've had guys in the ARP saying, oh, this is, you know, the desire to get rid of female deacons is just because we have PCA churches like ours, our old PCA churches coming into the ARP, and how dare you? They didn't discuss the fact that they have PCUSA churches coming into the ARP that wanted women deacons. So um, there's, you know, both sides of that particular argument. Uh, so the argument of fear was made quite a bit. And what also was not discussed, though, um, on the floor, because it irritates people, is, is the fact that you would actually, um, okay, so we'll lose uh, some of the older churches that are absolutely dependent upon female deacons and first prize. But um, if we sat down and worked out how many refugee churches from organizations like the PCA that don't want uh, women deacons we would get if we didn't have this rule, I think actually we'd end up you know, gaining more than we would ever lose. But it's an upsetting of the apple cart. It's uh, getting rid of the, well, we've never done it this way before because our perspective only goes back to 1971 and, and so on. Um, or it doesn't go back as far as 1971 even. It's just the fact we haven't done it. Um, so that was made... Uh, that argument was made. The argument of fear was made. Um, eventually, it came down to a vote, and uh, it was something like uh, the the difference was twenty one votes on the floor. Now, this was encouraging to me in one sense. Um, the the as they put it, the the uh, Senate is sharply divided on this issue. It's almost even. Twenty one votes is not a lot of votes, obviously. Um, and looking at the people who voted, one of the things that you immediately noticed was that the men who uh, voted uh, for uh, keeping the female deacons were older. 
Okay, these were, many of them were men who probably voted for it in 1971 when it originally came around. Um, the other thing that you noticed was that um, most of the younger men, <laughs> by corollary, a lot of the younger men, uh, were voting against female deacons. What this means is, as time goes on, more men will be in favor of getting rid of female deacons than will not be, um, just by the process of, of the, you know, time doing its work and, um, and uh, the older men uh, going the way of all flesh. Um, but having said that, um, unless you have a huge influx of pro, uh, of, um, of men who are against women deacons coming into the ARP, I don't think it's ever going to change at this point in time. And I say that um, because you need a two-thirds majority to change the form of government. That would, you need a supermajority. So that is, that's going to be very hard to do because admittedly there are some uh, younger and more liberal guys or more um, theologically liberal on this particular subject coming in from uh, other denominations, guys in the PCA who wanted deacon, uh, deaconesses, guys from the EPC, guys from, um, uh, you know, more theologically loose uh, seminaries being ordained. So it's not like there's the, the, the pro-deaconess side is just going down. It's, it's also, you know, they, they have a few new guys coming in. We had some younger men who were arguing uh, against getting rid of deaconesses. It wasn't all old men. So you would need a massive influx, or you would need um, a real concerted effort to teach on this issue, to show why biblically the arguments in favor of uh, female deacons are very, very, very um, oh, slim. They are very light. They are uh, not nearly as solid as the arguments for male-only uh, diaconates. Uh, am I optimistic? that the ARP will ever get rid of its deaconesses. Actually, to tell the truth, I'm not at this point in time. Um, I don't know that we can, we can produce that two-thirds majority. Certainly, it's not there right now. It, may, it might be there in a decade, but who knows what's going to happen in a decade and how quickly our culture is changing. We no longer maybe an above-ground church. So, um, we voted down the, uh, the overture from First Press that would have gotten rid of female deacons. But uh, a, um, a new memorial was sent up by David Loughton to form a committee to study the subject of deacons. Um, and that needed to be done uh, because there was, you know, just from the, uh, the conversation on the floor, there was a lot of uh, ambiguity, uh, ambiguity about the, um, uh, the office itself and what they should be doing and how much authority they have. There was also, uh, frankly, just a misunderstanding of, of some things. So it would be very helpful. Uh, and at least if we're going to have a position where we allow for women deacons, we need a better, more solid argument for it, something as exegetical at the, uh, at the very least than the paper that was put forward. Uh, the basis for our having uh, deaconesses should not be because liberals in 1971 managed to force it through. And now that it's done, let's keep the status quo rather than rocking the boat and having a bunch of churches leave. That cannot be the position <laughs> that we're telling the world, you know. Um, it, it should be, well, we, we think that there are, you know, some solid arguments within Scripture. Here there are um, that support this and some actual historical um, basis for it. Although the, the guys on the pro-women deaconesses, uh, female deaconesses side admit that it's the minority position in church history. They understand that. 
All right, so getting to, we've gotten past that. So we have a new committee that was voted up to study the subject of deacons. I must tell you, one fellow stood up, and he was talking about how, uh, you know, we, uh, it was one of the older fellows, and he um, he made the uh, the point, you know, we, uh, uh, we have men who believe in female deaconesses, men who don't. We have men who believe in, uh, you know, six-day creation, and men who believe that the earth is 15 billion years old. And I was like, time out. Uh, did, did he really just say that? You know, can we have a, can we have a discussion about the, you know, the, the age of the earth instead? Because in some sense, this is more important. 15 billion years, really, brother? The, uh, you know, well, let's talk about death before the fall and stuff. You know, anyway, so um, the, the ARP does, uh, there are still men hanging on, let's just say, who are very quickly in, um, in their theology. Uh, one fellow said to me, uh, he said, you know, we've still got men who were ordained in the new orthodox days um, of uh, Erskine um, and uh, the Erskine's not the orthodox anymore but um, and I was like really and he said oh yeah you know and you'll you'll get that coming out when you have a theological discussion and suddenly they'll say something and you're like wait a minute that's Karl Barth but um, anyway moving on um, I you know there's uh, one point I will make uh, to my PCA brothers who may uh, listen to this or see it uh, it's very simple. Um, there are still more deaconesses in the PCA than there are in the ARP, and in the PCA, they're not. Uh, they're, you know, they're, your Book of Church Discipline does not um, Book of Church Order. Sorry, does not allow for uh, them at all. At least ours does in certain sessions. Moving on, uh, ICRC um, uh, presented an interesting report. Uh, we are in fraternal fellowship with the Korean American Presbyterian Church, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the Presbyterian Church in America, the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, which is problematic, I'll get to that in a moment, and uh, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of England and Wales, and the Free Church of Scotland. Those are the ones that we have fraternal relations with. Um, a prayer was made for the EPC to repent uh, on the floor of uh, when the ICRC uh, was meeting. Um, we've sent a letter of concern to the EPC. Interestingly enough, two EPC delegates were there. I want to read what we uh, uh, was stated uh, by the committee. The committee continues to review our relationship with the EPC, that's the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. As much has changed since the EPC's organization. The 2022 ARP General Senate sent a letter of concern to the EPC of which we received a response for several years. We've been discussing and monitoring the situation in the EPC. It was noted that the EPC elected a female ruling elder as their moderator at their 2022 General Assembly. They also have elected a female minister as their chair of interchurch relations. These, among other concerns, move us to ask the Senate as a whole to, prepare, to prayerfully consider our future fraternal relations with the EPC. I'll be frank with you, I don't think we should have them, uh, given that they are now electing women to the main roles of the, you know, main positions within their church uh, and their positions on um, the continuation of the charismatic gifts. Uh, I, I don't see any reason why we would have continuing relations with the APC. I really don't, but that's just me and I'm a crank. Uh, amongst the fraternal delegates, uh, we had a, uh, a, a funny uh, presentation by a fellow from the Canadian Reformed Churches um, who we are moving towards, uh, that's not the CRC, incidentally, not, not the American uh, uh, CRC, it's, uh, it's a separate body. Um, and uh, he, he said he was, he was happy to be able to speak at a place that had uh, 
um, a, uh, an elder with a, a name as piratical as Rob Roy McGregor III, you know, and it uh, made him imagine an eye patch and, you know, peg leg, et cetera, and so on. So he was introduced to Rob Roy McGregor III, which is uh, an awesome Scottish name. I, I think of the Highlands, not the high seas when I hear Rob Roy McGregor. But anyway, moving on. Uh, OPC greetings were given by Ian Wright, who is a Scotsman, incidentally, and uh, he um, gave an am amazing speech talking about uh, the ways in which we might cooperate together, especially as we see the day approaching, and as we see society obviously turning more and more viciously upon the church. It was a very stirring message. Uh, one of the sad things um, that happened was that um, we did not get to uh, hear all the men who were supposed to preach, because we ended early. I'll talk about that in a, in a bit. But um, the, the saddest of those was the fact that Ian Wright didn't get a chance to speak, and Ian Wright is a uh, tremendous preacher. If you ever have a chance, go over to Sermon Audio and listen to some of his sermons. He's a great preacher. Um, so I was really looking forward to that, but his speech uh, was good as well. Um, uh, other things that interested me, um, I, I'm taking up too much time already. We're already at uh, 36 minutes, so I am going to mention then uh, the Theological and Social Concerns Committee. Um, they presented a paper, um, and amongst the, the well, they presented their report to Synod. Uh, one of the things they want is for us to dissolve the Theological and Social Concerns Committee. They say they don't have enough men, they can't do the work that's been given to them. It's too much with too little. So they asked that they be dissolved. But um, the, uh, the paper that they presented, they did deal with the issue of validity of marriages without a marriage license. Uh, they asked that it be received as information. They were dealing with a, uh, a um, presbytery uh, that had said uh, we should not, uh, it shouldn't be a problem uh, for us to do marriages without a marriage license. In other words, to cut the state out of it uh, entirely. Uh, I do not agree with that at all. I believe that the state has to be there simply because um, of uh, divorce. How are we going to handle the issue of children? Where do they go? Uh, the state uh, has an interest in doing that and also the division of property, um, all of those things. And then there's the issue of having uh, the uh, power of attorney, for instance, if your uh, spouse becomes disabled, uh, medical power of attorney, uh, attorney, attorney, if your spouse is in the hospital and so on. All those things that we take for granted that the state allows us to do as families because we are married. Now, obviously, the state has gone horrendously wrong on the issue of determining who can marry who. Uh, and uh, that doesn't change uh, that their error, however, doesn't change the fact that um, there is a civil contract issue in marriage always has been. Um, Non-believers, for instance, can get married and we need to uh, accept those marriages as lawful. Um, that, that's always been the case. Uh, I've conducted, I, I will only marry two groups of people. I'll marry two believers or I'll marry two non-believers. Uh, and I've conducted both marriages. You know, it's better to have them married than fornicating. Let's, let's be uh, uh, clear about that. Let's also remember that we don't want children to be born out of wedlock. We want them to have a mother and a father and a stable family, and then hopefully, you know, the non-believers will become believers. Families are more often converted, incidentally, than single parents. Moving on, um, they, but we didn't have any discussion of that. It was a, an amazingly interesting uh, topic was not discussed. Um, the Theological and Social Concerns Committee has also been uh, discussing something else that was interesting um, and important, which was secret societies, most uh, pressingly the Masons. 
And they'd already done some work on that. I was questioned at length uh, because I'm an ex-Mason. I used to be a Mason. Um, and uh, they had not come together. They had not put together a report. Uh, there was some question as to whether uh, they wanted a um, they wanted a moderators uh, committee to uh, continue that work of dealing with whether or not uh, churchmen should be Masons as well. Um, I personally came to the conclusion I could not be a Mason and an, uh, a Bible-believing Christian at the same time. Um, but that's a different discussion, which would take a lot of time. Anyway, um, there was much thought that the, de uh, the deaconesses issue would consume a ton of time. Uh, and so the uh, worship, the men who were preaching, were pressed very heavily. And I was one of the men who was scheduled to preach. Uh, I didn't end up getting to preach because I was scheduled for the last day. Uh, they were pressed to keep their sermons within 20 minutes. Most of them did it, but it meant they were racing through them. Some of the men uh, clearly were just reading the manuscripts and had cut out uh, sermon illustrations and so on. I, I thought that was a uh, I thought that was a shame. It, it cut down on the uh, the liberty uh, that men have in preaching uh, and the declaration of the word. Now I understand that there was fear that we would go overtime, and that there was fear, uh, and that fear was based on the fact that the previous year many men had gone way overtime. I mean, I'm talking 50 minutes. Uh, you should be able to preach a sermon in 30, 35 minutes without any trouble. 20 is uh, kind of scraping, though. Um, and uh, while I thought Jeff. Uh, Kingswood did a good job within his allotted 20 minutes. Uh, he's used to speaking with time, uh, time constraints and conferences in the way that other men are not. Um, I, I did not appreciate that. And because uh, I think the energy, all of the energy was focused on the deaconess issue, a lot of other issues kind of just slipped by, some of which I've discussed already, uh, without any sort of debate at all. And as a result, we finished a day early. We went home on Wednesday, not on Thursday. We didn't even have the Wednesday evening worship service. So um, I, I do think that uh, a lot of other issues that were important got short shrift. I've discussed some of them. Um, and I, I would urge us uh, in future as a denomination not to limit men to 20 minutes of preaching. Um, that's, that's, you know, constraining the spirit. 30 minutes, I would say, would be the minimum you should ever give a man um, in, in order to preach the Word of God half an hour. If he's worth his salt, he can pack so much edifying material within uh, those 30 minutes. And also, he can, he can illustrate the points that he's making rather than simply going bump, 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 you know, seriatim. You can bore a person to death in 20 minutes uh, and, and uh, with a, uh, a sermon with no... No illustrations, nothing to, to, to get the mind going again. Just theological point, doctrine, theological point, doctrine, you know, so on. Um, it, you, it, it helps if you give a man a little more scope to, to make his points. Uh, and I think some things were cut a little, uh, doctrinally important things about worship that were cut a little short because of that. Anyway, that's just my opinion. Everything that I've discussed here, obviously, is my opinion. I do thank you, though, for listening. 